At its core, this podcast is an exercise in science communication. Social scientists spend their careers analyzing data and testing ideas, using the scientific method to understand how people think, act, and feel. But then they write detailed reports of their findings and just trade them amongst themselves. But why keep that information tucked away in the brains of a few nerds? We should share it. Let everyone know what we know. Tell the professional communicators, policymakers, activists. That's what this show is all about. But it's not easy. On the one hand, scientists aren't always trained in the art of talking to normal people about anything, let alone complicated science. And on the other hand, lots of people already think science is boring, intellectual, and irrelevant to their lives. But things are looking up. Public opinion data from Pew Research Center showed that even though in 2016 only 76% of Americans were confident that scientists act in the public interest, by last year, that number rose to 86%. And most Americans think scientists have an overall positive effect on society. So people are generally pro-science on average, but it still doesn't mean they understand it. Fortunately, a big and vibrant science communication community has emerged, filled with bright and talented people who are committed to helping the world become more scientifically savvy. You're listening to Opinion Science, the show about our opinions, where they come from, and how they change. I'm Andy Luttrell, and I talked to one scientist who takes a fun and unique approach to science communication. Shannon O'Dell recently finished a PhD in neuroscience, and she's also a comedian. And she's tied these two worlds together using comedy as a tool for introducing people to neuroscience and other sciences. She's produced live shows in New York City, co-created the popular web series Your Brain on Blank, co-hosts the Science of Self-Care podcast, and is a regular correspondent for the show What on Earth on the Science Channel. I talked to Shannon about how she got involved in all of this, and why comedy is a useful tool for talking science. But first, to give you a taste of what she does, here's Shannon telling an audience what the prefrontal cortex is all about. So the prefrontal cortex, just a side note about it, because I love the prefrontal cortex. This is really the area of the brain that makes you human. It's home to conscious thought, it's home to social behavior, it's also home to judgment. So for that reason, I like to call it the mom of the brain, right? <laughs> it's the region of the brain that's most likely going to be like, are you really going to wear that? <laughs> it's the region that's mostly going to be like, oh, you going to eat that? All? Interesting. Uh, the region of the brain is most likely to say, Really? Because your cousin lives in the city and she got married in her 20s, so not everyone gets married in the 30s in the city. <laughs> it's also the region of the brain most likely to have a heavy Jersey accent, and that is science. So, so yeah, I, I was going to start by congratulating you because did was it that did you have an actual commencement or what happened? So, so congratulations on your PhD and follow up question: What what did they do? Was it a online thing? Yeah, it was online. Um, they sent us our robes in the mail, which was very funny to like still get the package in the mail of the uh -huh. robes. It was nice because then like you know we could do the pictures in the robes just to have it. But yeah, it was over. It was over Zoom. 
which was fun, I guess. Very silly to be like sitting in your bedroom uh, graduating. And they're with everybody on at the same time? Yeah, they had all the med students and the PhD uh, students like in a conference Zoom with everyone on mute. So I guess we could see each other. <laughs> uh, it ended up being like, you know, I just ended up talking to people in my program on in a chat. Oh, know, gotcha. I feel like kind of we were all together through it. Uh-huh. Which is which is how commencements usually go anywhere where you just have snide side conversations with exactly. people who are next to you. Um, so what was, can you tell me what your uh, like dissertation work was or what kind of research were you doing? There? Sure. Yeah. So um, I got my PhD in neuroscience and more specifically, I studied memory and epigenetics. Basically, the title of my thesis was very big and long and boring. Um, But essentially what I looked at was, can we find an epigenetic marker? I was looking specifically at DNA methylation. So that is, you know, methyl groups on cytosines and DNA, and those can be different for different cells. So I was looking at, uh, are there epigenetic marks that are distinct to cells Um, more specifically neurons, which are recruited during a memory event. So something that we know about memory is that memories are coded in physical neurons and that that coding happens, um, it's sparse. So a small group of neurons will code for one memory while another group of neurons will code for another memory. So kind of a question in neuroscience is what's dictating that one group of neurons is going to encode at one time while another group of neurons is encoding at another time? Like what is that black box? What's directing those cells? And there's probably a lot of different things that are directing those cells. But my thesis was kind of untangling this idea. Are there DNA methylation marks that are that we can uh, see in cells that have recently been recruited to a memory that are distinct that kind of show us, oh, these these cells were kind of ready to be incorporated into a memory. So, so you're saying your 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 thesis work didn't solve the problem of memory? Yeah, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, one thesis never solved. Okay, it. <laughs> well, well, we'll have to wait on that. So, is it was yeah. it memory that was that got you into this area, or was it the neuroscience angle, or like where did the where did the seed of all of this start? Yeah, it's. Actually, my my story is very weird because I was not thinking I was going to go into memory. I had the classic story of I thought I was going to study one thing. I did the first experiment and I had to like rewrite my, you know, my my proposal because it wasn't going to go the way I wanted. We got too interesting of result. I was supposed to do an experiment that was supposed to be like null and void. Like I'm not going to get any hmm. result and I got a result, hmm. which is normally the different, the opposite in science. Normally, you think a result's going to happen, and you don't get it. And you get nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was exciting, you know, for my advisor. I think me, a, fir- a first year neuroscience students, I was overwhelmed. Uh, but you know, that's how science goes. So I was, I joined my lab because I was interested in studying early life adversity. Um, more specifically, my lab works in mouse models. Obviously, uh, we. Uh, because we work in epigenetics and it's kind of hard to work in epigenetics if you work in humans because you need to get DNA out of brains, which is hard unless you're (laughs) using postmortem tissue. So so we work in mouse models, more specifically how early life adversity. So 
things like uh, maternal separation and how that results in adulthood anxiety or, um, you know, anxiety like phenotypes. So I was interested in that so, angle. So that's a very specific thing to come in with an interest in. <laughs> yes. Well, I was, I was interested in neuropsychiatric diseases in general. So I was interested in anxiety, interested in depression. Um, and I got, I got away. I, I went <laughs> just far spun away out of control. <laughs> exactly. So uh, basically, my work was coming off of a paper that looked at that early life adversity, that kind of epigenetic mark of early life adversity, and I wanted to study that more. But then I was just testing out a model we had, and kind of saw that oops, this model in itself has some. Uh, if I use this model, I'm seeing a difference in memory in general. And then we had to kind of dig in the weeds to figure out why. Yeah, it's so bizarre how that happens. Like I'm thinking that, so the, the research that I do a lot these days is on morality and how people's sense of morality affects their opinions on things and their resistance to, to changing their mind. But that was not, I had no idea that that was an interest of mine. It really was just like a grad student before me had left off it mid project and I just picked it up and I went, oh, this is my whole thing now. And and so now that's the thing. So it, it's bizarre how you can sort of come in with like a, a vague idea of what you're looking to do. And then that that totally changes. So that's it's nice to hear that that's true in other areas also. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and what I always when I talk to grad students that are starting off and, you know, you're you figured out you're interested, say, in neuroscience because you're in a neuroscience program. Yes, you should be interested in the research going on in the lab, but so much of like what becomes of interest in science will be like, okay, do you have a mentor that you find interesting or how you're asking a question? What are the methods mm -hmm. that um, that question you get to use uh, in order to answer that question? And I feel like that ends up being more important even than like the question that you're asking. Um because you're not really thinking about the question that you're asking sometimes. Sometimes you just like have a m little mini, mini, mini experiment and you're like, I just need to figure out this little, little experiment, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so where did, where did the communication part come in? Was that always something that you wanted to do? Yeah, I mean, around the same time, so I graduated um, undergrad in 2012 from Vassar College and I moved to the city to, uh, to be a research technician in a lab, a neuroscience lab up at Albert Einstein and um, New York City. And when um, I moved here, I had in college done a lot of um, like performance, never comedy, but just like kind of performance. And I moved to the city and I didn't have many friends here. I, I'm going to be real. I didn't have many friends here. And I needed to find a way to meet people. And someone suggested to me, oh, you should take a comedy class. And I thought, okay, sure. Like, I have nothing else to lose. Uh, I'm in the city and I barely know anyone. So I did. And luckily, I met people, but I also, like, kind of fell in love with doing comedy. And so the communication, the science communication really came from, I think, the comedy. So I was doing comedy and finding my voice in comedy. And then I was, at the same time, I had started a PhD program and then I was figuring out ways I wanted what like what is my comedic voice and like what is my story and my story obviously involves science and that's how I started involving science more in my comedy kind of really started with um, 
I started producing and hosting this show called Drunk Science, which I uh, produce here in New York City, where we have scientists come on and we have comedians come on and our comedians perform scientific dissertations on scientific topics, which is really fun. And we have scientists there and we do interviews and it's just like a big fun. Everyone's drinking. We're playing drinking games. Um, And that kind of, I'm so thankful for that show because while I was just a host, it helped open up my mind to like how science and comedy can go hand in hand. And then from there I started, um, you know, I started uh, writing scripts and um, working with Your Brain on Blank, which is a digital show that um, I hosted and wrote for, and then started doing stand-up that involved, you know, talking about memory and the human brain, and then started my podcast, and that started this, and it started that. Um, And yeah, it all just like kind of came from me trying to find my comedic voice and me realizing that like uh, yeah I like science a lot so maybe I can sneak in some science communication in here too so were you doing the science stand up if I'm going to call it that like at, at yeah. sort of your run of the mill uh, shows mics and showcases yeah, I mean yeah I, I would say <laughs> at a mic I try to you know if I'm testing like uh, stuff at a mic I try to like put in a couple science jokes and then like because I, I also have lots of material. It's just, you know, about me and just about general material, I, don't, I guess you would call it. Uh, but I would say what's great about New York City is there's so many niche comedy scenes. Mm. And there is a niche science comedy scene here, which is like really incredible. So there are science comedy open mics. And I've been able to do a lot of shows that were science specific and you know it's great to like come with 15 minutes of material that's all science and know that you know the the crowd's not going to be like what's going on here (laughs) well what's so cool to me about the open mic culture is that it's a culture of trying the same thing over and over in different ways which is not anything you get in any other kind of communication right like imagine you're giving a research talk at a conference i mean i guess you could try it just force people to listen to you over and over again but generally that's not how it is you sort of prepare it and then you give it and then it's over and so what i think is very cool about that is it just is sort of a forum for honing in on like how how can i convey that idea in a way that's engaging and entertaining i mean that that's that's me i guess foisting my perspective on you does that resonate with with how you yeah no absolutely and i think this kind of goes back to what i think a lot about that i think science and comedy have a ton in common. I think they're they're similar like methods involved. And I think uh, being a scientist really helps me as a comedian. And I think if you talk to a lot of comedians, you'll hear in like their methods that hmm. it is very scientific. You know, you you go to an open mic and you're recording yourself saying a joke, and you notice that like you're saying the same words. And one time you know, it gets a laugh and another time it doesn't. And you're like listening like, oh, I put more emphasis on that word or like I put a longer pause here. And it's just, uh, you know, you're collecting data. You're like going to different mics, you're collecting data and uh, kind of trying to create the funniest <laughs> thing. Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I really like that about, yes, um, comedy and and it is nice in terms of like, yeah, being a young scientist and going for a PhD, 
uh, my advisor used to always comment, you get so nervous for science talks. I don't get it. You, you know, you leave lab and you go out and you do comedy and you like go on stage. Yet for some reason I would be any talk I had to give. I was like, I was rehearsing it. You know, I was making my colleagues come and listen to it over and over again. I would get so like caught up. But I, I'm, I'm wondering if it's because like if in comedy, everything is sort of practiced hmm. and in, in science, it's like, oh yeah, just talk about it. It's like, no, I need that. I need that kind of method. I can't imagine without doing it a hundred times already <laughs> to, to do it right. for the first time in front yeah. of the real people. So I was actually, you, you've touched on it a little bit, but I was going to say that in watching some of the stuff that you've done, you you toe the line between comedy and science super well. So like it's, it's genuinely funny and the science is there. And I feel like in that equation, all too often that balance is not there, right? Like I've seen lots of scientists try to be funny and it is a mixed (laughs) bag. (laughs) And, and, you know, I've known plenty of, of comedians who have no place talking about science. Right. And so, yeah, you spoke a little bit about how those two things go together do those generally seem compatible to you or or is there some friction that you kind of have to put effort into weaving those two things together? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, just coming from the science side, I mean, I think we can easily talk about like kind of the characters we play in science and like if we're giving a scientific talk, even though like w- the way we speak and, you know, that we don't have to work. There's a character you play as a comedian too, you know, you're, you're talking in a very specific way and like using words that like, you know, you're cursing and you wouldn't curse in a scientific <laughs> conference, but very likely a lot of standups do curse in their act. But like, um, yeah, what was the question? I think I just like totally lost my train. It was of just about the the amount of effort it takes to weave comedy and science together. Oh yes, yes. So I think they are different in certain ways, but I think espe- especially um, where I am as a neuroscientist, and I'm sure maybe you could speak to it as well. Like I study how the human brain works, and so like of course there's comedy in that because it's like it's the the science of us and how we behave and how our brain works, which is everything. So it's so easy to pull in those personal experiences and those personal jokes. Um, and then like, like I like to say, I like sneak in science where it's like, Oh, here's a funny thing. Here's like kind of a, uh, and also it's about uh, observations. I always talk about this in science and comedy that, you know, science is about observations and comedy is about like making observations about the world. And then you say, huh, isn't that true? And everyone sits and laughs because it is true. So yeah, I think they do go well in a lot of ways. Um, Yeah, I think it's great when scientists get into comedy because I think scientists have such wonderful personalities. And I think think sometimes they think they're not for the comedy world, but their scientists are some of the funniest people I have ever met. Like, you know, like I know a lot of comedians, but when on drunk science, our funniest person on stage is always the scientist, like without fail, especially when they're the expert on stage and they can like put everyone in check when we ask stupid questions. It's just, I don't know. I, I, I really love integrating the two. Yeah. So I wanted to know more about the drunk science show and, in part, how you convince scientists to do it <laughs> and and yeah. also like what their role is in the show. Sure. Yeah. I mean, 
I think there's definitely um, a self-selection going on. Like I'm sending an email that says drunk, like invitation to drunk science. So there's some people who are not going <laughs> to want to do that. But there are other people who see that email and they're like, oh, yeah, sign me up. So I think I never really have to convince people. I think people who want to do it are pretty game for it. Um, but yeah, how it works is in the show, the scientist is really our guest of honor. So we introduce all the comedians, everyone's on stage. Then we bring the scientist on. And our first drinking game is that we do an interview with the scientist. And in that, it's, you know, it's a ca- we what we try to really have on stage is a casual conversation. The drinks are there not because we want to get everyone trashed, but it's kind of like a little like, um, like a, I, I'm sure you know about this, like kind of a behavioral nod, like, oh, we're all relaxed because mm-hmm. we're drinking, you know, we're not, we're not in school. We're not like, you know, at desks or anything. So we can ask anything. Nothing's, nothing's a dumb question. And like, and just talk to a scientist. For some people, they don't get to talk to a scientist or ask questions to a scientist or see a scientist or see a scientist just talk about their what their day-to-day work is. And for most scientists, it's paperwork, which I think a lot of people are surprised to hear about. But yeah, so yeah, that's kind of the tone in the beginning. And the scientists is there. They judge, uh, in quotations, judge the comedian's um, dissertations. But the comedian's dissertations are always just, their slideshows, they always have science in there. But, you know, they're mostly jokes and bits. But it's always just a really fun dynamic to have the comedians there giving their take on what they saw on Wikipedia that the science is. <laughs> and then you have your your scientists there to kind of keep it in check. And, you know, um, yeah, it's it's just like a fun kind of relaxed environment. Do you get the feeling that people come away having learned about science? Yeah, I think definitely. Um I, I mean, we do have our crowd has a ton of grad students mm. in it. We have like a very like strong contingent of grad students who go, but the topics range, right? So one t- one day we'll have a neuroscientist, the next month we'll have someone on climate science. So even if you are like a scientist, you don't know about all types of science. But I think, yeah, there are always takeaways. I'm learning every time I go and I'm a scientist. So I'm imagining everyone else is learning. Yeah, I think... There are so many little snippets of things that I've learned uh, throughout the years on drunk science and I've gotten interested in things that like I didn't even know I was interested in until I heard an expert talk about it. And then I was like, oh, that's really cool. It sounds too that that your fusion of comedy and science is, like you said, born out of kind of finding your own identity and style of communication. Because there's a version of the story where you go, well, comedy is just the effective way to convey science, right? I I only rely on it because I feel like it is the most effective way versus a story where you go, well, that's just who I am. And I also want to talk about science. And so they have to go together because it's the one person doing both of them. Do you, do you have a sense? Is there any part of it that's like comedy is an effective pill to help the science go down? Or is it you really are not you don't care about that part of it? Yeah, no, I think that's, I mean, that's a huge part of it. I don't think that's why I originally started on this journey. I think it's kind of like a happy circumstance, like happy. And at the end, I'm like, oh, wow, this actually is effective in science communication. Um, Yeah, I mean, there are studies that have shown that like, if you're laughing, uh, you're more receptive to new ideas, like things like that. So if we get people in a room and we're laughing with a scientist and then 
and then the scientist tells you a fact, you might be more receptive to hearing that fact. Um, I think it's a really effective tool. It's also, I think, really great on creating like a, um, a level playing field. Hmm. I think people sometimes, you know, if you've never met a scientist or you don't regularly interact with scientists, you might think of them as un- it, like not approachable. And in the show, we're all laughing together. We're all showing our humanity, which I think is a lot of what comedy does is it like shows you your humanity. And then, um, yeah, I think it's just like a, a way to make people more receptive to the science and like understand that scientists are just people. And uh, yeah, so hopefully that's effective in communication. And even the, at the least, it's just getting people in the door, right? Like yeah. the people aren't often volunteering to go watch science lectures, but people right. happily go to comedy shows and see if they go, well, like you said, sneak in the science while people are already there. Uh, and then maybe the comedy doesn't necessarily help. I mean, so I, one thing I know in persuasion, there's been some work on like, does humor influence persuasion? And I always find those studies unsatisfying because... The, their materials aren't funny. It's they're, it's like they're testing the effect of people believing that someone is trying to be funny <laughs> more often right, than yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I just feel like, and there's research on like what makes things funny and, and, and how humor works. And again, it's always so unsatisfying because I feel like if you're in a research lab reading a joke, uh, you can't concoct a less <laughs> an yeah. experience that's less amenable to actual humor and so it's nice to see that just in the wild these things work these things co-occur and and that magic can happen so to speak even yeah. even if we can't isolate the process i think some of the best studies on that i looked at a couple on um the daily show because mm. that's something that's like actually funny material and looking at people's involvement um mm. in like political causes pre-watching the daily show and after watching the daily show so yeah, that i really think of the daily show and things like that like political humor as really like kind of the place that has shown that like political humor can get people involved in politics so like why can't you know comedic science Get people involved in science. <laughs> Could you talk about the uh, Your Brain on Blank series and sort of sure. where that came from? And I imagine that you're writing a lot of that. Is that the case? Yeah. And so I'm yeah. curious what your process is for like, you, you have a topic. Where do you start to sort of think about how to convey that kind of information? Yeah. So the story with Your Brain on Blank, um, it was really interesting because it started out as one just like one standalone video that kind of became a series, which the first video was on your brain on alcohol, um, which is the most popular one as well. And is the one that I'm, I'm, I'm unfortunately known for a lot of alcohol related <laughs> things. Um, I, uh, I did a, I did a, like a science communication workshop and someone had a typo on my badge <laughs> instead of like producer of drunk science. It just said drunk scientist on it. <laughs> my title. I was like, yeah, I guess that is who I am. <laughs> um, so uh, with that, it was supposed to be just like a one-off video. And um, I had some friends from the comedy scene who were producers at this media company, Inverse, and they knew that I did the show Drunk Science. And they said, oh, wouldn't it be fun if you did like a science explainer video while you drank of like what was happening in your body as you drank or what's happening more specifically in your brain as you drink? So we did that one video um, and it was tons of fun um, and it just kind of like really went viral, which is 
which my first time ever going <laughs> viral, um, which was really, really great. And I think it had like 33 million views on it or something crazy like that. Um, and then it just became a whole series. You know, next we tried like, okay, let's do caffeine. And then we did that and that one was successful. So then it became like a two series thing. Uh, or yeah, we had two seasons, which was really great. Um, there's still maybe, it's kind of like an ongoing thing that sometimes we do an episode if there's an episode that comes along. Um, but yeah, my process for that, it was interesting because it was my first time kind of like writing scientific scripts. Um, but I had that experience with drunk science and I had started to put a little bit of science into my standup. And so basically I always went at it like, um, I was doing a review paper. Mm. So I would read reviews like it's just like the same thing that you would do like yeah with a scientific review let's let's see the reviews that are out there what's the most current research i'd pick things that were the most interesting to me like oh i like for example of like your brain on puppies i was like really interested in baby schema so like i just read a lot of new studies on like baby schema or yeah baby schema that's right yeah what is it oh that's like that the idea that um, puppies have like big eyes and like symmetrical features, which kind of the idea is that like it triggers the same, you know, maternal, mm -hmm. paternal pathways if we see something that is cute. Um, yeah. So basically just always start with the research, kind of like making little summaries of each paper. And then I'd build out my scripts. And it was kind of like, I would always start with like all the science, like what are the science points I would want to get across? And then just kind of putting in humor. The humor was actually like always came in like after. So it was like, okay, what was great, really great about this series was the idea was that I was doing the things. So there was a lot of situational humor that I could put in. There was a lot of like, oh, I know about this from personal experience. Like, what are jokes that I would make of just like the topic of like going through a breakup? Like there are tons of like jokes and things that you can do with that. Um, and then there was a lot of humor that we could just do on set of just like being on set. What about this goof? What about that goof? I, luckily, I worked with a really great director and producers who were both comedians. So like we got to really do uh, a lot of fun things with it, which is really fun. So having done my homework for talking to you, I listened to some of the, the uh, self-care podcast and it feels like it's sort of a similar thing where you're sort of, there's a, a topic that you know is coming up. And what I also have noticed about the work that you've done is that you're very savvy about connecting with people who are also strong on the entertainer performing side, right? And so kind of in, in all of these things, right? You're able You're able to benefit both from your own strengths and then also having a team of people to sort of carry the whole thing along because there is a challenge in just sort of being like the one voice conveying all of those bits and pieces. And so I'm guessing that the podcast works similarly. So you, you all will agree on some topic and then you'll tinker on Google Scholar. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that that's what's really great about like the science of self-care is with that I get to have my two friends who are very talented, very funny comedians. And they're kind of like a stand-in sometimes of the audience of like, I'm saying, they keep me in check too when I'm talking about science. <laughs> they don't either understand what I'm saying or they think, you know, this that study did what? I don't think that really shows anything. And you're like, yeah, this <laughs> is interesting. You start thinking about how we conduct science in general. But yeah, it's 
it's really great working with, I, I've luckily had the chance to work with really, really great comedians who uh, make everything I do so funny. And even your, your point about them being non-scientists is useful too. So I find in this show, these conversations are super fun. And then afterwards, sometimes I go, ooh, I might have just fallen into like shop talk with another person who does the same stuff as me. And the hope is that anyone could follow the conversation. And so it is useful to have someone be like, all right, <laughs> that didn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, a, what is that? Or like a... It like on the podcast, like I'd say like it was a meta analysis. They're like a meta who like, what are you talking about? It's like, oh, yeah, let me let me explain the words that I'm using. Um, and also just, yeah, it's there's such a great yeah voice of reason and also both so, so funny and goofy and weird. And I love them both. Have, did you do much teaching in grad school or no? I did a bit of teaching, a bit of TAing uh, at Cornell. We don't have an undergrad program uh we just have because it's cornell medicine so it's mm. in the city mm -hmm. so it's just the medical campus um so i did a bunch of a bit of taing for our grad students but i'm hoping to get into more teaching now uh, yeah i was wondering if if that was also a forum to th there is a little bit of of open miciness to to teaching where it's like each each time you teach the same thing, you're like, all right, no, I, this is the better way to, yeah. <laughs> to tell that story or to give this example. I can imagine. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so what are what are the things on the horizon then? So you, you've sort of alluded to, to things toward the future. I, I'm, I'm sure any plans you had got, um, let's call it derailed <laughs> in the last couple of months. Yeah. But what, what were some of the directions that you're moving in now? Yeah, so uh, I defended in December. And yeah, my hope was to go fully freelance, to freelance science communication. Um, I'm working currently like with a fitness brand to work on creating science videos for them on like the science of exercise. So basically doing projects like that, creating video projects and continuing on with science comedy. So continuing on with drunk science, continuing on with the science of self-care and trying to create more projects which uh, like link science and comedy. Um, yeah, obviously things get derailed, but that's okay. We get back to them. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. I'm doing, uh, are you still doing Drunk Science on online? I think I saw. Yes, we did one of our shows online. We think we're going to probably do, an, the thing with New York is that we probably won't go back to live events for a very long time. Uh, so, and that's been hard on the comedy community because, I mean... <laughs> That's for a lot of people, that's like how they made money, um, which is, you know, part of my income came from live performance as well. So it's just, yeah, re redirecting. And luckily, everyone got really good at Zoom comedy shows yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, creating like teams that know how to run Zoom comedy shows and stream them to YouTube. And so, yeah, we're working on putting together another another uh, online show as well. Nice. Do you have lessons for even just to pull back the lens a little on science communication in general? Are, are there things that you've learned about talking about neuroscience to people who aren't neuroscientists that other scientists could benefit from as they increasingly try to, to bring their work outside the lab and to the public? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the one of the greatest things that I learned in the process was don't try to be uh don't like look at like oh i think science communication is this 
and then try to force yourself to fit that mold. There are many different ideas of what science communication is. And there was a while there where I was like trying to be what I thought science communication was. And like, ultimately, your biggest strength is to like figure out what your voice is. Like I was saying before, like I found my science communication voice because I was looking for my comedic voice. So like whatever resonates to you, for me, I found like the way that I would talk to my friends in comedy about science kind of like translated to like everything I do in science communication. So whether that be with a podcast or with drunk science, and I found that to be an effective tool of science communication. And that was just kind of through personal experience. Uh, so I would say, yeah, like trying to figure out your voice and how you how you think about science and how you learned about science and how, what makes things easy for you to understand. Yeah, is is and there's no one way to do it. You know, don't think that you have to be do it, things a certain way to be a science communicator. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> if you're communicating out science, like that's good. Are, are there things that um, that you've seen in the comedy world? Actually, one of the one of the questions I was going to ask you was about balancing life in science and comedy because those, even if the, the process of them is similar, the lifestyle of them is pretty different. <laughs> uh, and so, how much? Did you sort of compartmentalize those things versus just sort of go, these are just moments in the day and whether they're happening here or there, it doesn't matter? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I've been doing comedy for eight years. Am I, I have I done as many open mics as like a person who's been doing comedy for eight years and just focusing on open mics? Like, absolutely not. Like, because I was doing this other PhD thing <laughs> in the meantime. And then the same, in the same way, like, did I have the same work routine as every PhD student? Absolutely not. But I luckily figured out pretty early on, maybe two years in, that I knew my career was going to be, or I want my career to be combining those two things. So I made sure that both of them were somewhat balanced. Because ultimately, in a PhD program, you want to you know, do your dis dissertation and do it well, but you also are creating a career for yourself. So the idea of like, do what's meaningful to your career. So does that does that mean teaching classes as well? Then like teach classes as well. Those are just as important in creating your career. So yeah, finding the balance, it's not easy. I say this as if like I had, like, <laughs> yeah, a perfect vision. It wasn't easy to figure it out or even if, you know, the feelings of guilt of like, I'm not doing enough comedy or like, I'm not doing enough science. It just, of course those creep in too. But yeah, just- Figuring out the balance that's best for you and best for like what you see as your vision of your career, I think is important. Don't tell people, don't let people tell you like you should be doing more mics or like you should be doing more time in lab. Like as long as you're doing your work and yeah, I don't know. People have opinions on a lot of things <laughs> I found out through grad school and in comedy. <laughs> yeah, right. Because both of those things are, are things that there are like kind of hardened old school ideas about what it takes to succeed. So yeah. I think I mentioned in, in my email that I did stand up throughout grad school and and I felt very, I, I wasn't good at living both of those lives at the same time because I felt like the, the same thing you were saying where it's like grad school, they go, well, you should be working all the time. Why would you? You can't go out <laughs> to right. this thing at night and do this other thing. And in comedy, they go, well, if you're not hitting three mics a night, then you're not doing anything. And you go, well, both of those can't happen at the same time. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, something, something's got to give. So, so happy to hear that that you're able to strike that balance. Yeah. And and even, I mean, I, I don't know if this is a reality, but 
there are misconceptions about what both of those worlds are, too, so that each doesn't understand the other. And so, yeah, hard to convince people that, no, both of these things are are useful and fun and, and, and worthy of your right. time. And I feel like it's just in part, I mean, luckily, I found a really great lab and a really great comedy community. I just feel like the the more like transparent I was with people, the I was always afraid in the beginning of like telling scientists that I was a comedian um, because I thought they would like think what I was doing was silly or like not worth my time or I wasn't a serious scientist because I was doing comedy. But then like the more I opened up to people, very few scientists really had much of an, they thought it was cool. Like, <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah. Th- there was one time I told someone and they were like, oh, well, why don't you just like go do that for a year and then come back? And I was like, whoa, I did not see that coming. Right, yeah. And I think you also, there are lots of scientists who have those kinds of secret ambitions, like even in like music. So this person was like, I really regret not taking some time to like just be a musician for a while before going to grad school. And I was like, well, yeah, you never know. You never know what's working for people. Yeah. (laughs) There's no one way to do anything. Exactly. And it's like, I think that narrative, I hopefully that narrative is changing a little bit. The idea that like when you're in a PhD program or when you're going to grad school, it's like you have to be have a toxic work schedule. I think I hopefully hopefully that narrative is changing and that like you also have to be a full person when you leave grad school. You need to like have hobbies. You need to have things that like make you feel good. Not that science doesn't make you feel good, but like <laughs> you need you need balance. Spoken like the host of a self-care podcast. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so the the one the the train of thought I was on before this was just to ask whether in being in the comedy world, are there is there any insight that you've gotten from comedians that's affected your science communication or that people could could benefit from? Or like ways comedians handle audiences or adapt to unpredictable situations that would be of use to science communicators? Yeah, I mean, I think I oh, so much of my science communication to like the comedians I came up watching and like friends that I've watched and throughout the years. I think um, what's something I really love about improv comedy is that like, because I did a lot of improv comedy to start out with is this idea that like, okay, you said something, we, we can move on from that. Like, I think with science, we can get so um, caught up in our words hmm. And I think it's okay to like your science, you're doing science communication. Oops, I fumbled that. Let me just correct that. Because scientists are people and we're trying our best to communicate the facts as well as we can, but we're going to make mistakes because we are humans. Just like, you know, at an open mic, you might do a joke and it might not be funny at all. And like, that's okay. You learned that that joke wasn't funny. It was funny to maybe you in your head, but not to a general audience. Um, I think um, I learned a little bit of that, like this forgiveness of like, as a science communicator, it is important that we fact check and we're holding ourselves to a high standard, but like mistakes can happen. And as long as you're open to correcting those mistakes and being transparent about it, I think that's something I really yeah learned from comedy and like, it's okay. That's a very inspiring place to end. So <laughs> appreciate you coming on, Shannon, and talking about the stuff that you do. This has been great to hear about. Yeah, it was so great meeting <laughs> you. This was a very fun conversation. Thank you so much to Shannon for coming on and having that fun conversation. Check out the show notes for a link to her website and be sure to catch up on her fantastic science videos on YouTube. 
If you're new to the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you get podcasts. You don't want to miss out on this beautiful ear candy. And this is also a great opportunity to rate and review this show. Your kind words and five-star ratings help people find this podcast. As always, you can find us at opinionsciencepodcast.com and follow us on Twitter or Facebook at OpinionSciPod. Okay, this outro is officially over. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.